Welcome to the Maritime Executives Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Tony Munoz, Editor-in-Chief. Our Executive Corner Podcast will provide conversations with top executives concerning events and issues that are shaping our industry today. We will also bring you up to speed with the latest news and editorials covered by the Maritime Executive. Welcome to the Maritime Executive Magazine Podcast Series, In the Know. I'm Paul Benecki. In this episode, Editor-in-Chief Tony Munoz spoke with Dan Thurgood, CEO of Seabulk and Seacor Island Lines, about his company's role in the Hurricane Dorian relief effort. Seacor Island Lines is one of the main logistics providers in the Bahamas, particularly for the outlying islands, and its landing craft were among the first relief vessels to reach areas affected by the storm. For the details, listen in on their conversation. Dan, tell us how long Seacor Island Lines has been serving the Bahamas and a little bit about the history. Sure. So, Seacor Island Lines and its predecessor companies have been servicing the Bahamas for um, well over 25 years. And um, Seacor um, purchased the predecessor company in 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw this business as one that is, in effect, a lifeline or a key component of supporting the what we call the family islands or the out islands of the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So um, the less well-served um, uh, locations throughout the Bahamas and uh, uh, and then into the Turks and Caicos, um, which is right at the south-eastern uh, tip mm-hmm. of the Bahamas chain. Um, it's always been focused on more of the specialized logistics chain, row-row, uh, services and solutions, uh, direct to project type solutions. And um, so we're, we are much more than just a typical regional line of service. Mm-hmm. We're, we are a full service logistics group that can you know, put assets and expertise to work um, to, uh, to deliver a solution to a customer. And what are the primary ports of operation and what type of vessels do you use? So our main, our home port is here in Port Everglades. Uh, we've run out of here. The whole, whole history of the company has been built up around uh, delivering services, uh, leaving from Port Everglades. So this is our home port. And um, we uh, feed uh, freight into all of the Bahamian out islands and then um, Providencialis and, and in the Turks and Caicos. You, to do that, you do need specialized equipment. And we mm-hmm. have uh, vessels that are approximately 190 feet length overall, uh, can carry about 500 tons of cargo or approximately 25 TEUs equivalent. And uh, they, are, um, uh, they have a bow ramp so they can land uh, in a low infrastructure port and deliver uh, goods directly uh, to, the, uh, to the island in question. And of course, you know, as we're going to get into this, but uh, in regards reacting to or responding to the aftermath of a significant event like a, a hurricane, those vessels typically are mm-hmm. the easiest to get back in after devastation right. has occurred. Right. Tell us about the different services provide. Is Island Lines the only freight provider to the Bahamas? No. So we compete. There's a number of other players out of the U.S. You've got Tropical Shipping and ourselves um, who are significant players into the Bahamas. Tropical Mm -hmm. is bigger than us. Um, We um, 
also compete with local Bahamian providers who have landing craft and small mm -hmm. um, container vessels that also service similar islands. We have the broadest reach and the biggest fleet for the to serve the out islands. Um, so although we move fewer containers, we always like to say we move the most important containers because without us and our broad reach, those communities don't get the service they deserve. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's sort of how we think about ourselves. We, we are a full logistics chain. So we can receive a parcel from Amazon and we can get it to Harbor Island in the Bahamas, mm -hmm. or we can work with Carnival Cruise Lines and develop a full um, logistics chain to develop an entire private island in the, in the Bahamas, uh, cement, construction material, everything, mm -hmm. and then continue to do the resupply once that island is built and up and running. Excellent. As uh, Hurricane Dorian approached the Abaco and Bahamas, did Seacore Island Lines um, evacuate its employees and move its assets out of the path? We did. Um, it was hard to get people out given uh, the way it happened. What we were able to do was, um, so we have assets both in Freeport and in Marsh Harbor. Uh, we were able to get all of our ships out of the way. Seacore, as a broader company, also has harbor tugs in Freeport, Bahamas. We, we also removed those and we were able to move some people on those tugs to help them evacuate. Um, we were, like many other companies, um, in a very difficult situation where our agents, in particularly in the Abaco and some of the other islands that were mm -hmm. nearby the hurricane, um, had chosen to stay. Uh, it was very difficult to get them out, and um, we had uh, a number of days with no communication and a lot of worry. Okay. Fortunately for all of the Sea Corps, uh, employees and agents and any of our um, uh, you know friends in the Bahamas everyone from a human perspective was okay but of course the devastation to the infrastructure was pretty much absolute absolute is right what were some of the other preparations made prior to Dorian's arrival so we have um, a couple of things we do. One, we have very robust hurricane plans for our equipment. Mm -hmm. That was, and of course, hurricane season now is something we deal with a hurricane at least once a year, impacting right. assets in our purview. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had commenced our hurricane uh, team. Um, I, we have a formal name for it that I can't remember right now. Okay. Uh, and they do uh, six hourly rotations and, and start managing the whole fleet and moving it out of the way. We also, on the back of our experience in Puerto Rico through Trailer Bridge, mm -hmm. had uh, kept a slew of generators, tarps, and um, other high-value, sort of immediately required equipment that um, we were able to bring to bear um, quickly after the storm. So we, knowing the history of the impact of a storm and then in the aftermath, the key requirements, we actually had in hand, I think it was as many as 20 generator sets. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how many square yards of tarps, but some, some significant resources to help. Effectively, we see our role is to try and rebuild the logistics chain right. up again as soon as possible and get the cargo flowing. That's the core right. deliverable for the Seacore Island Alliance guys. Right. 
and, everyone's safe. And um, so when you gathered your assets and you started moving towards the Bahamas and Abaco, what did you see? What did you see there? Complete devastation. What were some of the first things that your teams had to do? So the, the first thing we had to do was we had to fly over to see if we could even right. get equipment in safely. Then we had to send small craft ahead to check the channels to mm -hmm. prepare a safe navigation passage for our landing craft. Even though they're shallow draft, we didn't know what wreckage from sunken boats or containers that may have blown right. into the channel could be. So we had a team of guys that went out, did an incredible job, frankly, on you know sport fishing boats, mm -hmm. checked the channels, um, and um, prepared the way for our big vessels to start going. But what we saw uh, when we arrived um, was um, very limited resources, complete destruction. Um, we got the first barrels of uh, diesel and gasoline into Marsh Harbor on okay. one of our vessels, but there was it was complete and utter devastation, and you know very limited uh, infrastructure to work with when we got there. All right. Uh, so, um, as uh, Hurricane Dorian stalled over the Abaco and Grand Bahamas, did the rescue plans change in any way? And what were the major concerns prior to uh, the relief efforts? Yeah, so I think, you know, if you sort of most of what I just answered there, Tony, that, we, right. we would cover that. Okay. Um, did, I think, you know, with we. I think one thing to remember is we're running this operation sitting here in Fort Lauderdale and mm -hmm. there was a chance that storm carried straight on and hit That's right. our whole team here in the United States. That's right. And so we were both managing our personnel that were already being impacted and trying to plan around having to potentially move our personnel that may be impacted. So it was a significant logistical challenge just from a day-to-day -day operational perspective. And of course, we run a significant right. amount of operations out of this office here That's right. in the port, uh, not just Seeker Island. So there was a huge amount of activity being um, in an attempt to be as prepared as possible. Fortunately, the storm turned north. Fortunately. did uh, When did the alliance with uh, Mission Resolve and the Bahamian Relief Consortium come about and how was Secor involved there from the beginning? With the very close, I don't know when Joe got it all rolling, Tony, but mm -hmm. he obviously pretty soon after the storm, and I was with Joe personally, probably within five to seven days of the um, storm having passed, and within a couple of days of us having gotten initial uh, supplies into the Bahamas, into the impacted area. So. The moment I knew we had a pathway to provide uh, logistics for relief supplies, um, Joe had reached out, we met, and uh, we started to work hand in glove. And, 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 and the reason this is important, it's very easy to buy the relief supplies when you go to Target. Mm -hmm. They don't give you a discount. You go in good faith and you've mm -hmm. got your dollars and you're, you, you wanna be helpful and you buy diapers, water, Gatorade, whatever you may buy, supplies, uh, and then it all arrives and the typical question we get is, please do this for free. And we, uh, we did immediately reduce our tariff by 25%. So for the first okay. six, uh, 50 days after the storm, we ran our services at cost. Okay. But we have to pay for fuel, we have to pay our crew wages. And um, ultimately, you know, 
what we want the wider community to understand is Target doesn't give you a discount. We do because we're a partner in this. Right. But at some point, we have to try and make ends meet again. Right. And some of the and so what Joe understood was that the cost of logistics is part of the cost of rebuilding, mm-hmm. you know, and re- and responding with relief supplies. So he was able to bring char- charitable donations to pay for the freight at that discounted rate. And that was a big win for us because we could now get that moving. So Joe and Secor did something similar to what Tropical and Carnival did. Carnival effectively wrote the check for the freight, uh, for the relief supplies for Tropical. We did it with a number of other charities, but Joe was up front and right in the middle of it and helping us. And, and it was a great local partnership. I mean, it sort of, in a way, it shows the strength of the, the Fort Lauderdale um, maritime community. Indeed it does. As we were going to be impacted as well, so this is, uh, certainly we were very fortunate. Tell us about the um, emergency response in conjunction with the national and international agencies, and who was the primary lead in the emergency response? The Coast Guard, USAID, the Bahamian agencies? So right after, in the direct aftermath of the storm, uh, the US Coast Guard, the Royal Navy, and a number of European um, disaster response um, groups, I think mostly military-backed, arrived in um, Marsh Harbor and commenced some of the, um, you know, mo- mo- more specific, you know, immediate relief, mm-hmm. clearing roads, rebuilding bridges, sort of thing. NEMA, which is the Bahamian mm. Disaster Response Group, uh, was was obviously in the middle of that, um, and um, but I think you know if you. The U.S. Coast Guard, I believe, evacuated maybe 300 injured personnel by helicopter, uh, people mm-hmm. by helicopter. I mean, it's, it's amazing what resources uh, the U.S. Uh, gave uh, to, to save Brought lives. To bear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and since, I think the thing, the thing I want to be specific about is the relief. Those, those people have gone away. Those, those first responders have left. Okay. Um, the uh, the Bahamian agencies, uh, the USAID has been has, is still there in support with food and the World Kitchen effort, um, and we're now on a long path. Um, there's no one in harm's way, but there is a community that needs to be rebuilt, and uh, we're we are working directly with Bahamian government officials. We have a meeting on Friday, this coming Friday in Freeport. Um, in conjunction with the other carriers, ourselves and Tropical, to work on what needs to happen from a logistics perspective. And of course, one thing people need to recognize is when the container of relief supplies or rebuilding material arrives in the port, its journey is not over. Its journey still needs to get it to the home where the rebuilding is occurring or the kitchen where the food is being prepared or the medical uh, the health center where the doctors need the medicine and any community that's devastated in the way these were all of the individuals that would typically be driving the trucks or helping to unload right. the cargo they have their own personal story that where they've been impacted and they're trying to recover so the shoreside logistics chain is also encumbered and um, one of the things we're trying to bring to bear are solutions that get 
the solution all the way to its final delivery mm-hmm. in, a, in an efficient manner. I think one thing to point out that I've seen, and we're in the, we have the benefit of sitting in this port, I've seen people doing what they believe is a good deed by sending a mega yacht full of pallets over. Um, but the efficient way to deliver the resources is on cargo ships in containers. And it's right. the value proposition is multiples of a hundred, you know, for every, just the gasoline to move to, that would be burnt. Um, mm-hmm. And I recognize people are doing this, you know, without any yeah, charge right. and, and it, it, if we can direct the resources uh, to the the most efficient logistics chains, right. we're going to have the biggest impact on the communities. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, obviously, being devastated, were the Bahamian agencies capable of assisting in any of the emergency response? I think given the level of devastation, any agency would have been overcome except for maybe the power of Uncle Sam which Mm -hmm. is you know I have the benefit of growing up in Europe and I've seen flooding and other impacts that have resulted in similar levels of devastation Mm -hmm. it's very hard to overcome this these are very remote communities right and um, uh, I'm sure there will be lessons learned for the Bahamians but um, I think they have done given the resources they had available as good a job as they could have done what type of supplies were immediately needed and what did you bring in first? What did you, you, you obviously knew that they were going to need water and uh, obviously some food, but what else? Yeah, so the, 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 the South Florida community did an incredible job of pulling together relief supplies. We then worked with NEMA in the Bahamas to make mm-hmm. sure we sent the supplies they needed mm-hmm. first. So fuel, water, medical supplies, um, things like diapers, um, things that we all take for granted, um, tarpaulins, um, generators, those were the, uh, and then some rolling stock equipment to help with clearing debris, um, and then those were the, the immediate aftermath requirements um, uh, were uh, those sorts of um, uh, goods and um, uh, again, we, we worked with NEMA to make sure we prioritized what exactly, what yeah. exactly, and and th- there's still a lot of goods here in, yes. in South Florida waiting to be shipped over. There are still a lot of goods. I think we've probably got through the bulk of it, but mm-hmm. you know, I think certainly from a relief supply, I think most of that has now flushed through. Tony, I think what we're now seeing is the rebuilding supplies mm-hmm. and um, some of the longer term relief requirements. Uh, RVs have become, uh, uh, you know, temporary housing okay. has become a very significant um, uh, requirement to be moved, and we've worked hard with a number of people to do that. And we see so that you're moving, uh, moving RVs, whole ships worth of RVs, wow. 20, 30 RVs at a time. Wow, that's uh, incredible. To help uh, people reestablish it again, there's not a single, there's almost no habitable buildings left in Marsh Harbor. Right. It's, uh, it is absolute devastation. Um, let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, tell me about the companies and organizations that are still on the ground assisting the Bahamians. And what is it going to take for uh, the Bahamians to get their economy back on track? I think, you know, that there's two distinct um, 
islands and island chains that were impacted. Grand Bahama mm-hmm. um, and um, the Abaco chain, and mm-hmm. in particular Marsh Harbor and the surrounding keys. I think Grand Bahama, um, even before the storm, had seen a lot of positive investment um, decisions mm-hmm. being made by the cruise line industry and others to further develop um, the island. I believe those cruise lines are standing by those investment decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think um, uh, with support of um, the NGOs and uh, the mm-hmm. other um, uh, charitable organizations, the support is there. There, there are areas of Grand Bahama that were very badly devastated. There are areas of Grand Bahama that didn't get off lightly, but they w- they will be able to recover more quickly. Okay. And um, so I think it, for them, it's it's going to be time. And um, uh, but I can see I can see a horizon. I can see light at the end of the tunnel. I think for the Abacos, um, it's a very different. Um, set up there. You have a lot of Americans and Europeans that have um, second homes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very popular place for mm-hmm. uh, the South Florida community to spend vacation time. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful, it was a beautiful place to mm-hmm. visit. Uh, but, um, you know, the local Bahamian population typically, uh, fewer of them than we would expect in the United States are going to have the resources such as insurance in place right. so I my hope is that the those of us that care about the Abacos folks like Seacor Island Lines who want to help the community rebuild to come together um, and um, I think it's a it's an achievable proposition but it's a there's a long way to go so the what are we learning what are the lessons learned how do we prepare better for for this it's it's a great question. This is, a, I mean, I, I certainly am not qualified to have all the best answers. Some mm-hmm. of the things that come to my mind, Tony, are infrastructure is key. Hardened infrastructure, whether it's um, burying electric cables, whether it's building homes to a code, whether it's re- re- requiring homes to be built on stilts, um, understanding the risks we now face in an environment where hurricanes are more frequent, bigger. Uh, stronger, um, we have to react to that by choosing to either um, build to a level where we can uh, handle it, or we have to move away from those areas that are low-lying and prone to flooding um, and look for alternative ways to to exist. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I don't know the histories of hurricanes and frequencies, but for the, since 2011, since we've been um, running freight into the Bahamas and, and, and into Puerto Rico, um, the devastation has been um, not every single year, but uh, frequent, frequent and very large in scale. Thank you for listening to In the Know, the Maritime Executive Magazine podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next exciting discussion on maritime technology, business, and policy. In the meantime, please visit us online at www.maritime-executive.com for the latest news and views from around the industry.